you know, everybody was involved in one way or another. Is everybody following me so far? So as the church attendance grew on Sundays, it became more and more difficult to engage people in that same level of participation. And the more inviting the church is to the curious and to the seeker and to the, to the broken or to the questioning, uh, the more uh, people you come who, who are checking it out, who are looking and curious, who, as we mentioned a few uh, number of weeks ago, uh, are the observers. They're coming and they're observing and they're wanting to know, is this a place where, where God is going to meet me? And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But it, it also affects the dynamic of, of who you are. And so you have to grapple and adjust and try to find ways. And it's, and it's difficult to help people who are coming in with needs and stuff to be uh, engaged and as connected as those who've been in a relationship for a long time. And the other problem is, is that when you've known people for a long time, it's easy to become insular, right? So that you, you don't let new people come in. All right? And, and yet we, we need to be com- as comfortable as those relationships become. And it's, and it's one of those things, again, where it's the result of a kingdom dynamic that often affects another kingdom dynamic. So because we're experiencing the kingdom dynamic of fellowship and of community, which is a wonderful thing, sometimes it closes us off to the kingdom dynamic of being evangelistic and inviting and, and, and welcoming, right? They're both good things. You just have to make sure you, you keep them in balance. Everybody say balance. And this is, is difficult, but it's, it's one of the things we have to do. And, and, and the reason why we have to do it is because, here's the, the kicker, not because we just want people to feel comfortable to come back and back again, and, and continue to, to, to be an observer. No, it's because we want to help them to give their life. We want to help them to invest their life because everybody was made to invest. Everybody was made to sow. Everybody was made and put on this earth to impart something to somebody else. That's why community is important. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so does one man or one woman's countenance sharpen another. We refine one another together in relationship. We refine one another in community. And, and we do that by giving of ourselves and imparting something to someone else and then receiving from those who impart to us. And so we want everybody, we want everybody to be able to give because service is part of the journey in the body of Christ. So as we talk about the next level today, I want to talk about building the house of the Lord. We sat around as a staff and we talked about how, you know, we... we we, uh, we actually sit and talk on Tuesdays, and we talk about you. We do. Don't worry, it's all good. It's all good. And, uh, but, but we talk about you in a, in a way of in, in asking questions, and like, how can we help people? How can we serve people? How can we bless people? But our, our, our heart, our objective is still you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so if your ears are ringing on a Tuesday morning between 9 and uh, 11, it's probably because we're praying for you. We're, we're asking God to do great things. Don't worry, we don't talk about you specifically and say, do you know what so-and-so did? <gasps> oh, well, uh, that's not what I mean. Uh, but we are talking about the body of Christ and how we can, can build them up. And we talked about how, you know, it's amazing how you get, as a church grows, you get people on, on vastly different ends of the spectrum, Right? You've got people who have been tracking with you for 25 years and who uh, are, are full of the DNA of the church and, and who we are and everything else. And then you've got other people that are new and they're, and they're just figuring out what the books of the Bible are and what's an Old Testament and New Testament all kind of stuff. And you've got that wide range of people in, in the body of Christ uh, at any given time. And, uh, and that's a challenging thing. So, you know, sometimes I have to go, my wife has, has this favorite thing, sometimes if I'm getting a little complicated, she just goes, 
And I'm like, you know, you might be going, what's that mean? It just means kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, so, so if I'm getting a little, I'm waxing a little eloquent and getting a little too heavy theologically, she just blows me a kiss. And she's telling me to keep it simple. Don't go too crazy. And, uh, and it actually stands for keep it simple, sweetheart. That's what she's actually saying to me. But uh, <laughs> is that what it is, dear? <laughs> Yeah, she's pleading the fifth this morning. So uh, we have to understand that the God built the kingdom for every one of us, everyone, no matter where you are in that journey, to be able to give. Right? Everyone. Everyone. And uh, we want everyone to be able to give to help build the body of Christ. And um, I found it very interesting that uh, we, in the Hebrew language, well, yeah, working together is just important worshiping together, yeah. In the, English, in, the, in the Hebrew language, the word avoda, everybody say avoda, is the same word for worship, one of the words of worship, and it's the same word for work. Isn't that interesting? So the word avoda is, is, can mean worship or it can mean work. It's the same word. And I think that's interesting because what it, it, it shows us is that the ancient Hebrews had a deep understanding of what it was to live an integrated life, a whole life where they really didn't see a whole lot of separation between uh, worshiping the Lord or worshiping the Lord with what I I do, worshiping the Lord with my hands. And they also had an integrated life in that they understood that every person was meant to worship the Lord with serving, with loving, with giving. And so the the same word is used for both. And it it reminded me of a couple scriptures. One is whatever your hand finds to do, do it with what? all your might. Now, I understand that when Paul says, with all your might, it's a reference to the work of your hands and not just the work within the church body or not just the work within the church family, but it's everything you do. So if you're a carpenter, you need to to work with all your might, doing the very best that you can do for your client. If you work in a factory, you do the very best that you can do for that company. If you work in the financial markets, you do the best for your your clients and for uh, those that that you work for. You know, whatever area, in healthcare service, the best for your patients, teachers, the best for your students. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all of your might. But, you know, I find it interesting that when it comes to that kind of work, we're very good at doing it for our employer or doing it for our family or even doing it for ourselves, but not always good at recognizing that it also applies to the kingdom. It also applies to the Lord. And there's another passage that kind of reminds us of that. And it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, everybody say especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we need to find ways to, to bless our brothers and sisters. We need to find ways to encourage them, and especially the body. Because then the body becomes a healthy place, becomes a whole place, and that makes it a very attractive place. Does everybody want to understand what I'm saying so far this morning? Now, understand all these scriptures are being given to you this morning. That one? Oh, where is it found? I can't remember if I wrote it down or not. It's in Hebrews, I believe, but I didn't write them down. Oh, sorry. It's uh, Galatians 6.10. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of this scripture this morning is not being given to you so you can say, that's right, people need to do good to me and build me up, encourage me, because I'm part of the household of faith. 
right? Everybody understand that? It is these verses are not being given so you can look at other people and say, yes, you're right, pastor. They have let me down. <laughs> you're right, pastor. They haven't been for the, there for me. They no, these are being given so that you can take a look in the mirror and say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you equipping me for? What are you wanting me to do to impact other people's lives? Someone say amen. amen. Say, I got it, pastor. All right. Now, I want to look at a particular book of the Bible today. In fact, we're going to go through the whole book. You're like, oh my word, how long are we going to be here today? It's really easy because the book only has two chapters. All right? It's a short story. It's only got two chapters. So we're going to jump through the whole book today, and we'll be able to do it only two chapters. Not just person say, only two chapters. All right. So I want to look uh, at the beginning of it, though. And uh, this is Haggai, the book of Haggai. So if you've got your Bibles turned there, if not, I'll put them up on the screen for you. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. All right? This is an incredible passage of Scripture today, and it's, and it's all talking about in the Old Testament about building the temple of the Lord. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Apparently paneling was big in those days. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but, you, but no one is warm. And he who, eat, who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, stock, I should say, and on all the labor of your hands. Now, this is one of the most stirring passages, at least to me, in the Old Testament scripture. A little bit of history for you. Haggai is one of the prophets speaking to the people of Israel after King Cyrus gave an edict releasing them from captivity. You've got to understand, they were taken into captivity some 60, 70 years before uh, by the Babylonians, and then there was a war. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and, uh, and King Cyrus released an edict giving the, the Israelites permission to go back to their homeland, even though they'd been taken out of it in exile, so they could go back, and the primary reason, so they could reestablish worship to their God, and uh, so they could go back and they could build their temple. And so uh, Haggai was a, one of the people traveling with Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple after they've been living in captivity for about 60 years. And, uh, you know, this uh, writing was somewhere, somewhere between 536 and 520 B.C. So they returned with joy, and they started well, building an altar and resuming sacrifices and even laying the foundation. But then construction ceased, and the completion of the Lord's house stalled, and the prophet speaks. Okay, so that's the context for what you're hearing here this morning. If you're wondering why in the world, what's he talking about? This is what he's talking about. And I want to talk about three problems that were facing the people of Israel that caused them 
to uh, stop work on the house of God. All right? And uh, I want us to understand uh, what was taking place and what was impacting them as believers. So the first thing that happened is that they, they lost interest. They became disinterested in uh, working on the temple. Although they'd returned for the purpose of rebuilding, uh, for whatever reason, after only a few months, the building and the construction had stopped. Perhaps uh, they, they gave up or they quit working because you know, they were now trying somehow to just forget about all the problems they had, all the pain and being free now finally. They were able to invest a little bit of time in family and friends and in all the rest of it. And so doing the work uh, just seemed like somehow reminded them of why they had been released in the first place and it brought back all the bad memories of captivity. Perhaps it was because they were finally just a free people. And as you know, freedom, freedom comes with its own set of temptations, right? It's easy to be obedient when you're a slave, but when you're free to follow the same kind of rules in your life, personally, is difficult because freedom comes with its own challenges, comes with its own difficulties. Am I making any sense to anybody? You know, when mom and dad are saying to you, let me just talk to the youth here, but when mom and dad's put down rules and you follow the rules and you know and you know that if you don't follow the rules that, that you know all your privileges are taken away and so you know you actually follow the rules and so you come home at a specific time and you you know and then you you know you don't go out getting drunk and everything else because of the rules and then you go to university you go to college and for the first time mom and dad aren't there and do you know how many university and college students I talk to that go man the first time I had liberty I was a complete idiot takes them a few years to reflect on that and come to that conclusion. But they end up, it's amazing how sometimes academics suffer and all kinds of things suffer because they got freedom for the first time in their life and they weren't able to handle it, right? And so freedom comes with its whole world of temptations that you probably didn't have when you had some form of authority over your life. And so here Israel is, they got freedom. And so all of a sudden, you know, a lot of things just seemed a lot more attractive than working on the, on the, the house of God. And that seems very likely because he says, hey, you're all working on your own panel houses while my house lie in ruins. And like I said, I'm not sure what they had for paneling, but uh, it's what the scriptures, yeah, yeah, 70s all over again, right? Uh, but anyway, today you're like, paneling, ew, ew, we're even rebelling against, although I think, isn't uh, wallpaper making a comeback? Yeah, ugh, ugh, ugh. anyway. For all you people who are thinking about putting it up in your house, remember what it's like to take down. All I'm going to say, think about that. Think about how evil it is to take down. Please ponder these things before you dive into the wallpaper craze. One day you're going to look at it, you're going to go, ew. And when you have to take it down, oh my goodness. You know, it is not fun. Just saying, just, just put that out there. <laughs> yeah, you'll cover the wallpaper with paneling. That's what you'll do. Uh, but, you know, are, are, we not, are we very much different to, uh, today, you know? Are we very much different today? You know, uh, when you think about it, when we began the church and it was new, every one of us was so highly invested that it was easy to, to invest uh, two, three nights a week into, into the work of the kingdom. Yeah, you remember what it was like, right? We're over at, at your house. We had pool parties. We had planning parties. We were together two, three times a week just just in each other's faces all the time. 
got, Gary got sick and tired of it, said, get out of my house, I don't want to see you anymore. Just, just kidding. Uh, but, you know, we spent so much time together and we were, because we we're so invested in getting the work done, right? But then after you get some time under your belt and you get some work and stuff done, it's easy to lose that, that passion, that, that edge, that, that investment strategy that you had in the beginning, Right? And that's why in order for the church to continue to grow, it's important for each generation to take a hold of the level of responsibility and passion for the kingdom that the one previous had. And when you fail to do that, you lose the church. You lose a generation. Because it isn't just about keeping them in the door, keeping them in the building. It's about keeping them invested. Everybody say invested. And so, <clears throat> yeah, that happens. And, uh, and part of that distraction comes when we... We, uh, we experience, uh, like I said, freedom and liberty for the first time, and we get distracted by the things of the world, and we get pulled away. But some of it happens just because, oh, well, here's the old phrase we throw out there all the time. Been there, done that, finish it for me. Got the t-shirt, right? In other words, yeah, I've been down this road before. I've made all those investments. Now it's somebody else's turn. Have you ever said that? Sure you have. Sure you have. All right, if you're over 50, I guarantee you've said that at least once in your life. All right. <clears throat> but here's the interesting thing. The prophet reminds them that their present fruitlessness, their present fruitlessness was the hand of the Lord. He, he says, I blew it all away. You work, you labor, you're doing all this stuff, and it doesn't seem to have any effectiveness. It doesn't have any fruit. Why? Because I'm blowing it all away. Why? Because you're so busy doing your own thing, you're neglecting my house. You're neglecting my house. So the first reason is people lose interest. It happens, right? And we have to go to Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me re-engage. The second thing is they become discouraged. Everybody say discouraged. If you read ahead into the second chapter, you see how discouragement also played a factor in the neglect of the construction of the house of the Lord. See, some of the returning exiles uh, to the temple uh, and to, to Jerusalem had seen Solomon's temple 60 years previously in all of its glory before Israel was conquered. They had seen it in all of its majesty and all of its power and all of its splendor. And so for them, what they were working on now just seems so meh. Everybody say meh. M-E-H, this generation's favorite word, meh, you know. Uh, it, it just seems so less than. It seems so uh, uninspiring. It seems so not insta-worthy. There, how's that, right? There you go. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so what happens is those people, those people understood that it had been at some time much greater. And uh, what happened is their, their discouragement, their discouragement, rubbed off on the younger generation. Listen to what it says in, in Haggai 2 and verse 3. It says, Who of you is left who saw this former house in its glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And so he, the prophet speaks to them and he's identifying the, the, the fact that they're comparing it to the house at Solomon when they, they're the, the temple of Solomon and they're going, it, you know, does it not feel like this is just subpar? Right? And uh, so he's, he's understanding that there's discouragement that settled in. And again, this sounds really familiar. 
And let me just give you a personal journey on this. When I was first uh, saved, when I first became a Christian, I was hanging around the church all the time, right? They had the doors open, I was there. And, uh, and, and I got listening to some of the old timers in the church, all right? And it left me feeling discouraged. You see, they would all talk about former moves of God and how, you know, oh, do you remember that time back in 1975 and the glory of God fell? And they'd just talk and talk and talk about this. But here's the problem. You see, I just, it was, it was, it was 1984 and I'd just come to the Lord. Or 81, sorry, 1981. Boy, am I getting old. Uh, it was 1981, and I just come to the Lord, and, and a few of my friends had come to the Lord with me, and I was thinking in my mind, this is the greatest time. Yeah. I mean, if God got a hold of me, this has got to be the greatest revival of all time. I kind of felt like the Apostle Paul in Scripture who said, you know, that of, of all sinners, he was chief, right? And, uh, and, and I felt like, you know, if, if, if God could get a hold of me, this is the greatest time to be alive. And I saw all these people getting saved and all the rest of it. But then I'd hear the, the, the folks talking about glory days in the past and stuff. And since I was never there to experience it, and yet they were here to experience what was happening now. And if what happened in the past to them was greater than what was happening now, then I'm, I'm missing out. And I became discouraged. I became, became to think, okay, so... Well, maybe this isn't so great because they're talking about stuff that happened, you know, in yesteryear that's way greater than what's happening now. So I guess I should lower my expectations. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And because uh, prior to speaking to them, I was fired up. But after speaking to them, I became discouraged. And uh, you know how easy that can happen to a new believer? You know, you got a new believer who's just riding the crest of the the revelation of God in their life. And then as they're just expounding to you uh, about all the joy they're experiencing, all the good things that are happening, and you say, well, well, I remember when, and then you start going down that road, all of a sudden you, you, you're telling them, well, that's good, but what happened to me was better. Now, your, your intention may not be to discourage them, but very easily you can become discouraged. And I became very discouraged. I became very discouraged, and and I thought, you know, well, if this isn't good enough, Lord, then, then will when anything we ever do be good enough? Will it ever measure up to what you did in the past? And I began to ask myself, you know, what would be good enough? So how did the prophet tackle this problem? How did the prophet tackle? He prophet tackled this problem by giving them a pep talk. That's what he did. He gave them a pep talk. And uh, he said, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I'm with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains with you. Do not fear. So he basically said, hey, be strong and just go to work. Get to work. You know? There's a beer commercial on television that my son and I laugh at every time it comes on TV. And it's this old guy talking about, he works with Molson Canadian, works with the brewery, and his son now has decided to follow in his footsteps and work at the brewery as well. Come on, you guys, if you watch any hockey, you've seen it a hundred times. And, uh, and he just says, well, work hard, son. Work hard, son. And you'll do great. Work hard. You'll do great. Work hard. And then at the end, without looking at the camera or looking at his son, just the old guy looks straight ahead, doing a good job, son. Doing a good job. You know? <laughs> and, and I thought, when I, when I was reading this this week, all I could think about was, you know, when the prophet said, you know, be strong and and go to work. All I could think about was the old guy just saying, work hard, son, work hard, work hard, son. Uh, you know, uh, 
And you say, the pastor is actually using a beer commercial as an illustration. Just about the work, folks. Just work hard. The prophet says, be strong and work hard. And that's all I could think about. Be strong and work hard. Be strong and work hard. Work hard, son. Work hard. And I remember all the times I've told my sons that. Work hard, son. And if you work hard, you'll be above everybody else because there's so many people looking for an out not to have to work at all. So if you'll work hard, you'll rise to the top because there's so many people that don't want to work at all. And those that want to work will shine like stars in a society and a culture where somebody don't want to work. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I said my kids to do that, and they set themselves to it, and they've been able to succeed. But, you know, that's not the only advice the prophet gave. I'm glad it's not the only advice. Someone say, so am I. Wouldn't it be awful if the only advice, advice the prophet had was just be strong and work? Be strong and work. But he had more advice. He had more advice. And this is the other advice that he gave. He directed their attention to the future, and this is what he said. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Aren't you glad the prophet had something else to say other than just work hard and be strong? Aren't you glad? I mean, my goodness, this is one of my favorite uh, passages in Scripture. He says that the, the, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former. Hallelujah. The glory of what you're working on right now will be greater than glories, uh, the glory of Solomon's temple. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. And here's the good news. That, that word was also prophetic into our future. The desire of nations who would come is Jesus. And this is also speaking into our future that the glory of the house of Christ will be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. The glory of the new covenant will be greater than the glory of the old covenant. And as we said last week, uh, that God is the God who's, the, who's building uh, glory upon glory and ever-increasing glory. And for you, young people, today, what does that mean? That the best is yet to come. Someone get excited with me. The best is yet to come. I'm so glad the best hasn't already happened. I'm, I'm so excited that the best is yet to come. I'm still 54 for a few more days. And uh, I'm so glad that at 54, the best is still yet to come. I'm, what's that? 63, and you're excited too. How many are excited that the best is still yet to come? Aren't you glad that you haven't seen it all, that you haven't witnessed it all, that you haven't, you know, that, that what happened in the past is not the pinnacle? Aren't you excited that, that as Billy Graham uh, falls as a seed into the ground, that something greater is going to come up out of the harvest? I am. I'm so glad that, that, that life, no life, no life, when it eventually uh, goes to its reward, does not leave back a, a legacy. Billy Graham's left a legacy. And I believe it's not just in his children, his grandchildren, but I believe it's in thousands upon thousands of people who were touched through the Word of God. I don't know how many of you saw uh, Kathy Lee when she was on TV this week. You see it? Oh, my word. When she talked about her whole family coming to Christ at, at Billy Graham, and she just preached the gospel right on television. Man, the stuff she said was awesome. And I thought, way to go, girl. And she just lit Hollywood up with how much Jesus Christ uh, transformed her life and how it all came because of one man. And I, the Bible says... 
even though dead, they still speak. Amen? And here's the great news. that Billy Graham knew also himself that greater things would come from future generations than from himself. He was fixated on it. He believed that. He invested forward all the time into his kids and his grandkids. And we're looking right now as a ministerial having Will Graham, his grandson, here in 2019. Amen? And uh, why is his grandson out ministering the word today? Because Billy was focused on the legacy that he was leaving behind. Hallelujah. And that greater things were yet to come. Whew! Oh, all right. Praise God. The glory of what God wants to do yet is greater than what he's already done. Amen? Third thing this morning was there was dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Disinterest, discouragement, dissatisfaction. Once Haggai finally got the people back to work, he faced a new problem. The people became dissatisfied with their progress. Now that they were back to work, they were expecting an immediate reversal of all their years of inactivity. So the prophet asked the priest two questions, and I thought this conversation was really interesting. Look at this in Scripture. At first, it doesn't make any sense, but let me walk you through it. All right, he says, If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And he said, no. The priest answered, no. So then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, though, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And the priest said, yeah, yeah, it does. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with, with this people and with this nation in my sight. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is, there is defiled. And you go, wow, what is, what is he saying? Well, it seems like strange questions, but there's some real cool truth here. He's pointing out that when something which is holy or consecrated to the Lord touches something else, it does not make it holy. However, when something which is defiled touches something else it may, that is presently clean, it makes it unclean. All right? This is what he's saying. While uncleanliness is infectious, holiness is not. Now think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. This is what he was saying. He was saying that, that the whole is affected by the unrighteous and by the, 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 the sin of your disinterest and your disengagement. Uh, and he said, that's infectious, but, but holiness, you can't just slap out something on it and put a Band-Aid on it and say, now it's all going to be made holy. He's saying uncleanliness is infectious, but holiness is not. So don't expect the righteous work of three months to undo the neglect of 16 years. Whoa. See, wow, that's a harsh word, Pastor. I don't feel very encouraged right now. Don't expect the righteous work of three months. They finally got back at it for three months, and now they're getting, they're, they're, you know, now they're getting discouraged. They're getting you know, down, and they're getting dissatisfied with their progress and all the rest of it. And the prophet has to remind them, he said, you know, these things are not just fixed like that. Wow. Remember, sin is contagious. Holiness is not. And you can't undo years of neglect with a few weeks of activity. You can't. But. Everybody say but. The Lord can Oh, I, you, Pastor, I thought you were turning into a legalist. Let me just help you out here. That's not the end of the message. But the Lord can. You see, as a life principle, it's true. It's true. 
that sin is infectious. And you have to be aware of these legal principles. It is infectious. And the Bible says so many things about it. One bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough, right? Like it talks about these things and it gives us so many illustrations of how sin is infectious. And just because, you know, uh, you get touched by the Lord, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily that uh, you become infectious in the same way. But here's the caveat. But God is the God of grace. And how does grace work? How does grace affect things? Well, this is the best part of the story that we conclude with here this morning. Under the old covenant, if you did, it's true, if you touched someone who was unclean, then you became unclean. But under the new covenant, when you touch someone who's unclean, they become clean. Does everybody see the reversal of the curse here through Jesus Christ? See, if you go back to Old Testament law and you came across a leper and you were touched by that leper, then you were considered unclean. If you hung around and you touched a dead body, you had to go through ceremonial cleansings and, and you had to separate yourself from the community for days in order to find a place of cleanliness again. When you touched something unclean, you became unclean. But under the new covenant in Jesus Christ, you touch something that's unclean and that thing which is unclean is changed. It's changed. Now, please understand, this doesn't undo the law of the harvest. Whatsoever man reaps, that shall he also, or so I should say, that shall he also reap. But please understand this, though, that God, God, everybody say God. God God more often than not works in spite of us, not because of us. Aren't you glad for that? That's the power of God's grace. That's the power of God's grace. And look at this verse in Haggai 2.19 as we get near the end of of the book. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. That's true. That's what's happened because of the curse that's been upon them because they haven't completed the work. But then he says, from this day on, everybody say this day. From this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. Hallelujah. This is, this is so exciting for me. From this day on, I will bless you. The bottom line is this. Sometimes, as I said, God moves because of us. Because we've prayed, God moves. Because we've sown, God moves. Right? Because we have loved, God moves. Because we've walked by faith, God moves. Because we have done the right thing in the right time, God moves. But you know what? So often, sometimes God moves in spite of us. That's the grace of God. Sometimes, even though we are weak, He moves. Sometimes, even though we haven't prayed, guess what? He still moves. Sometimes, even though there's still sin in our hearts, He moves. Are you hearing me this morning? Sometimes, even though we have little faith, little teeny faith, what did did Jesus call it? Mustard seed faith. Even though all we got is this little teeny seed of faith, Sometimes, even though that's all we've got, guess what? He still moves. Amen? And even though we don't deserve it, He moves. This is the glory of the new covenant. This is the majesty of what we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. A long time ago, the Lord showed me this. There's a huge difference between mercy and grace. We tend to, in the body of Christ, use the words interchangeably, and we shouldn't, because they're not the same thing, all right? And I'm going to give you the simplest understanding of how they're different. This is really, really simple this morning. 
This is not a theological statement. This is a Kevin statement. But it helps you understand the difference between the two. Mercy is God not giving us. Everybody say not giving. Not giving us what we deserve. So in other words, punishment, separation, death. When we do not receive those things, that is mercy. When we don't walk under curse because of what we've done, that is mercy. When we receive, uh, you know, don't receive any of the, the, the things that the scripture said would be attached to our sin, that is mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Does everybody understand that? But grace, on the other hand, is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is blessing. Grace is favor. Grace is life. Grace is God heaping upon us. After we've experienced mercy, he lavishes grace. Because of his great mercy, we are, are, are not uh, uh, sent to, and not condemned and are not punished. But because of his mercy, because of his mercy, we receive clemency. We receive liberty. We receive freedom. But then, as people who he has shown his mercy to, he also showers his grace. By definition, grace, unmerited favor. He pours out a favor upon us that we don't deserve. He gives us life. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us blessing. He pours it out on us even though we don't deserve it. That is the difference between grace and mercy. We've all been recipients of both, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. God has not given us what we deserve, and God has given us what we don't deserve. Somebody say amen to that. One last thing I want you to see here this morning. Last verse in the, in the two books. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shelthiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now that might seem like a, okay, yeah, big deal. What's so special about that verse? You know, what's so significant about that? Well, we, God chose Zerubbabel. He was the guy, the leader of Israel, that Hag, while Haggai was trying to encourage the people to get back to work. And he was the guy who was helping and, and, and was their, basically their politician, if you will, their leader. And that, so did God choose him as a leader of Israel? Yes. Did he call him as a rebuilder of the temple? Yes. Did he call Zerubbabel as a restorer of glory? Here's the thing. More than Zerubbabel could ever have imagined. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because the man Zerubbabel, who helped Israel restore the temple of the Lord to new glory, by, became by lineage part of the great glory that five centuries later would begin our journey from glory to glory and ever-increasing glory. Zerubbabel was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Isn't that cool? If you check out the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, you'll read in both of them, there's Zerubbabel. He was the great, 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 many times great grandpappy of Jesus. He was the man who couldn't possibly know that the work he was doing to restore glory to Israel at that time would be a forerunner of the glory that would come because of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I say that to say this, people. I want you to draw encouragement from this this morning. That what you are investing, what you are giving today, what you are giving today produces a harvest, even generations into the future. 
even generations into the future. I've done everything I can to change the outcome of my own family. We were not a believing family. I was not raised in a believing home. My wife was, and so she's a generational, third generational believer now, but I'm a four generational believer. I'm a first. So, so for me, this is leg, whole legacy thing has a huge significance to me, and, and, uh, and I, my, I had no greater passion than my own kids to know and love and to serve the Lord. And now I have the same passion for my grandchildren. And, uh, and, and, and I believe that my children and my grandchildren will produce a legacy, and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren, that, that my, my prayer for them is that none, none will turn their back on their Lord. That none will walk away from His incredible love. That every single one of them will experience everything that God has for them. See, and, and I believe that, that what I invest today can produce fruit. Some things that I can't even imagine generations down the road. Just like Zerubbabel could not possibly imagine that the Christ, the Savior of the world, would come from his lineage. And that the, the work that he was doing to restore glory to Jerusalem and 530 years before the time of Christ was a precursor, a pre-runner, a, a shadow, if you will, a, 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 a metaphor of what would come when Jesus Christ came and brought glory and restored glory to the earth. So that we then, as I said last week, as his followers, and it's also mind-blowing, could then move from glory to glory, and ever-increasing glory, seeing God do wonderful and majestic things, greater things, greater things than we can imagine, greater things, Jesus said, than I have done, will you do? This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm awfully excited about that. I'm awfully excited about that. I want more. I don't want you all just not, <clears throat> not satisfied. I know there's more. Why do I know there's more? Because it's in the Word. I know it's more. I know there's more. Because I know His Word does not lie. Please, church, stop. Implore you, stop willingly and willfully choosing to live below your potential. I know that we all face obstacles in our life that are keeping us below our potential, that we need to break through. I get that. This is not a message of condemnation. But we, we can choose not to stay there in many of these situations. And I'm saying to you, the Bible says, now today I put before you two things, life and death. Now choose which one? Life and live. Choose life and live. Choose to rise up and above and beyond. Don't live a mediocre life. Don't live a bound up life. Don't live, you know, and there may be some disciplines you're going to have to go through like we talked about last week. You know, uh, there may be some financial things that you're going to have to break out of and some old habits. There may be some some sin habits you're going to have to break out of. There may be some things that, that are holding you back. There may be indeed some levels of disinterest and discouragement and, and some dissatisfaction. But you know what? The beautiful thing is, is that dissatisfaction can become a good thing. I'm dissatisfied with where things are at. I want more. Let it be a passion that drives you to be better, that drives you to excel. 
We've got a work, a job to do. He wants to build his church so that the gates of hell can't prevail against it. And how does he do that? Well, I don't know of any other plan he has except for you and me. I've been searching the Bible for one. I haven't found a backup yet. He hasn't got a plan B. He's only got a plan A. And we're the plan A. There is no other one. You understand what I'm saying? There is no plan B. We're it. We're it. Christ wants to build his church. And I hear people say to me all the time, well, Jesus is building the church. It's not our job to build church. Jesus is building the church. It's true. But who's he using to build the church? He's using us. And how do we do it? We do it by putting kingdom values and kingdom life first. And when we do, we build the church. We fulfill his dream. His dream. We, we become his bride. We become his army. We become the answer in the world in which we live. He wants to build his church. He's got no other, no other plan to do it except through us. So I'm, what my word is this this morning. Jesus wants to build his church. You're looking at an incredible metaphorical story in the Old Testament. But how does he do that? We've got to, first of all, church, we've just got to stop living, you know, half-invested lives, disinterested in the outcome. Do we really care about what happens to God's church in the city of Babel? Do we really care what happens to Desert Stream and to other congregations? Do we care what happens to the message of the gospel in the city? Have we become disinterested? If we have, it's time for us to get off the, the bench, out of the bleachers, back into the, into the game. Can I talk to those that are over 40 here today? Those that are maybe feeling that you're at halftime in your life. You know, can I talk to you this morning? Time to get back in the battle. Yeah, you, you might have played great in the first half. I feel like I did. Played pretty good once I, at least in the second quarter, because the first quarter I didn't even know Jesus. But in the second quarter I got off the bench and I started I started really engaging for the kingdom and I and I had I had some fun. I've done some I've been privileged to do some pretty pretty cool things, pretty spectacular things. But I don't wanna, you know, stop the game at halftime. I wanna get back out there and give it everything I got. I'm, some people would say, I guess I'm in my third quarter. All right, I'm in my third quarter. What's God got for me in my third quarter? Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Amen? I can't wait. And then, I don't know about you, but I was watching the hockey game last night, and I realized in hockey there's only three periods, so maybe the analogy breaks down. But, but, but we got into what would be considered the fourth quarter of the hockey game, the, the last ten minutes, and the buds, they just kept putting it on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, and I looked at it and I, and I said, you know what? This is the kind of victory we needed where we kept our foot in the gas pedal right to the end. Proved to ourselves we can do it. We need to live our lives for the kingdom the same way. We have to. So if that's you this morning, you become disinterested. It's time for you to get off the bench and re-engage. Maybe some of you have been discouraged and you said, man, if you knew the, the week, the month, the years that I've just put in, you wouldn't be asking of me what you're asking of me. I'm just so discouraged. I'm feeling so beat down. There's no way I can be any help to anybody in the body of Christ. I just want you to know that is such a lie from the pit. Designed to keep you right where you are. Because the enemy, is, he is absolutely threatened 
by the potential of the body of Christ. One of my most amazing stories in Scripture is when the disciples tried to cast out these uh, uh, demons from these seven men that were sons of a, of a priest, seven sons of Sceva, right? And, uh, and they, got, they, they laid hands on them and prayed, and the demon, demonic-filled men beat the snot out of them. And as they beat them up, do you know what they said? They said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who in the world are you? And I love that passage because it didn't say Jesus we know. They said, and Paul we know. Paul's name they recognized right with Jesus' name. They recognized the man of God right with Jesus' name. And guess what? That could be said of any single one of us here. There's no special place just reserved for Paul. Paul was no more, had no more authority available to him, no more power available to him, no more uh, spirit available to him than anybody else in this room. We're all on the same level playing field. Just whether we'll take a hold of it and apply it as Paul did. So that the demons of hell go, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Mark, I know him. But who are you? Right? Shauna, I know her. Barry, I know him. Sarah, I know her. That's what we want the devil to say. Jesus, I know. Desert Stream, I know. Are you hearing me this morning? Time for us to re-engage, break off that spirit of discouragement this morning and re-engage. Re-engage. And if you've become dissatisfied with where things are at, and so as a result of it, you just you feel like I got nothing, I'm just gonna sit back and I'm just gonna let the next generation take over. Or maybe you're the next generation and you say, you know, the, the old folks, they won't let go. Right? Hear me this morning. Don't let the enemy keep you back. Recognize that every one of us are in the same boat. God moves in and through all of us by his grace. He doesn't move in us because we're mighty, 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 mighty prayer warriors. Yes, that, that helps because it builds us up. But the reality is he still moves by his grace. He moves by his grace. We're all here this morning because of his grace. Amen? I just a dope smoking high school student, and I'm here because of his grace. Because he had mercy on me, I took advantage of his grace. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He had mercy on me, and I took advantage of his grace. And look where I am. You get the same opportunity. He's had mercy on you. Now take advantage of his grace. Receive everything he has for you. Would you stand this morning? I feel that we're in a solemn place this morning and I don't think anybody should leave just quite yet. I apologize. It's taken me a little longer to get this out. I knew as I was writing it, it's pretty hard to cover two, two whole chapters in one sitting. But I also felt like I couldn't break it up. And there's, there is, this is holy ground right now this morning. God is revealing to us some of you right now, you're even getting pictures of what it's going to take to get to the next level. We should all be horribly dissatisfied. 
when our friends and the people we work with, or, uh, the people we see on TV, the people we witness in, in public every day have so little understanding of Jesus and what he has for them. The only way it's going to change is if we get off the bench and we get back in the battle. We can't remain disinterested and we can't allow discouragement and dissatisfaction to keep us from moving in. Higher in, up I should say, and further in. That's where God's calling every one of us to be. I want you to just close your eyes with me this morning. Father, we confess our incredible need of you today. But Father, we all also cry out to you today, Lord, and we say, God, 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 we want you to build your church here at Belleville. And we're saying, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord, use me. I repent of my disinterest, and I, and I ask for, for, Lord, healing from my discouragement. And, Lord, I, I, I see now, Lord, that, God, the results, they may be slow coming because Father, there's been things I haven't dealt with in my life, but I also see, God, that it's only going to come by your grace. And that, Father, when I sow my life and I receive your grace, that, God, great things can happen, not just in my time, but, Lord, my kids and my grandkids for generations to come. Oh, God, that's what we want. Father, that's what we want. And if you're with me on that this morning, I just I want to turn this altar into a place of of desperation this morning, saying, God, that's what I want. I want you to come and join me up here right now. Say, God, that's what I want. There's got to be, Father, something more that you have for us, and I want it in Jesus' name. Oh, God, forgive me of my disinterest, Lord. Heal me of my discouragement, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Here I come to Jesus. For-